Hey, Cracked fans. If you're a listener of this podcast, I imagine you feel fairly similar to how I do about the latest clothing options made available across the tennis market. Now, while I won't call out any brand in particular, I will say this. Given the exorbitant nature of the latest designs, feels like you better be pretty freaking good at tennis if you want to wear that sort of clothing on the court. Now, thankfully, we here at Crack Rackets are now able to provide a far more suitable, far more more comfortable, and I'm going to be honest, far more stylish option for all of our Crack Rackets fans, courtesy of our friends over at Lucky Racket. Lucky Racket uses some of the best fitting and feeling tees in the world. Their shirts are combed, ring-spun, heirloom cotton, and tri-blend Bella and canvas. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds spectacular. So, How can you get yourself some Lucky Racket gear? It's simple. Just go to their website, luckyracket.com. That's L-U-C-K-Y-R-A-C-K-E-T.com. And use our promo code CRACK15. If you do, you'll get 15% off all of your purchases. That means 15% off the shirts, 15% off all of the incredible swag offered by our friends. Again, that's luckyracket.com. The promo code is CRACK15. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, December 14th. On today's show, and as promised, we take a deep dive into the junior tennis world as two of the most prominent events on the junior tennis calendar both recently took place. Of course, I'm referring to both Eddie Herr and the Orange Bowl as those two events have taken place over these past few weeks in Florida. And look, if you're going to talk junior tennis, there's only one guest you can turn to. We are so fortunate to be joined by her today. You may know her best as the greatest of all time, writer and founder of the Zoo Tennis Blog contributor to TennisRecruiting.net. Of course, I know her as my friend Colette Lewis, who joins us to offer her takeaways from the grounds of both events. Now, if you haven't already, go read her recaps of the finals on the TennisRecruiting.net website. You can read her daily updates throughout these events on the Zoo Tennis blog. And on today's show, we recap essentially all of that work. We talk about the standout performers, in particular, the Fruvertova sisters, what 16-year-old Linda and 14-year-old Brenda have done two of the top five junior girls in the world right now. It was a special run to end the 2021 season. We talk about that run, try to contextualize it, talk about where those two players go from here. Of course, we talk about the other standout performers as well. Colette shares her insights from the grounds as there were so many college coaches, so many prominent other coaches there for her to speak with. And so we get the inside scoop of what's happening across the junior tennis world. And then at the end, as many of you listeners, I'm sure are aware we are currently trying to talk to every Power 5 men's and women's college tennis head coach before the start of the season. And as such, I wanted to offer some of the takeaways from my conversations and then, you know, bounce them off of Colette, hear what her takeaways are, what she's hearing from those college coaches, again, on the grounds of Eddie Her and the Orange Bowl. So a fantastic podcast for all of you listeners today. Of course, it was a college contenders day on the Great Shot podcast feed. If you want to go hear about our preseason number seven Stanford men and women, you can do so. You can read more about them on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, you can hear, as previously mentioned, from all 
all of these Power 5 men's and women's college tennis coaches on our Cracked Interviews podcast feeds. I believe we've released at least 15 to date, maybe more if you include the Power Five, uh, the college contender interviews as well. And look, it's a fascinating series. A, getting to hear from so many of these coaches for the first time, but B, to hear their insight and hear their passion for the sport. It is why I have so much faith that this game will continue to grow moving forward. But if you've missed any of those conversations, you can catch up on them all on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. You can find all of that content on the website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, before we get into today's show, a shout out as always to all of you listeners, to our Cracked Rackets Patreon family, without whom none of this content would be possible. Of course, a special shout out here to our friends over at Tennis Point as well. Perfect for your holiday shopping needs. You want to get anything for any of your buddies in the tennis world. There's only one place to turn to. That's Tennis-Point.com. Use that promo code CR15. Not only will you get 15% off your order, you'll get free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. That's Tennis-Point.com. Symbol, not the spelling. Tennis-Point.com. The promo code is CR15 with all of that plugging out of the way. Let's get to it. A fantastic mini break episode for all of you listeners today with the greatest of all time, Colette Lewis. Joining us on the podcast once again today, seemingly live from the Versailles Castle in France, you, of course, know her as the greatest of all time, writer of the Zoo Tennis blog, coming to us live after two weeks on the Eddie Her and Orange Bull slog. It is our friend, Colette Lewis. Colette, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I want you to know that I thought of that Versailles joke the moment the Zoom turned on, and I was like, stash it in the back, Alex. I was like, don't give away the ball game quite yet, but it's great to see you repping the Wesleyan gear. Shout out to the 2019 champs, as you mentioned. And, you know, obviously, you got the chance to be down and see two of the premier events on the junior calendar. And I want to talk about the winners. I want to talk about the players, all of the takeaways. But we felt this at Kalamazoo. I'm curious if you felt that down there. These opportunities now for college coaches to get together, it's almost a big frat party for the coaches. And I'm curious, was it that environment again? And was uh, was this an event? Did it feel like it was back to normal? Uh, yeah, uh, a little bit. I think um, Eddie Her being uh, the IMG Academy being under construction was a, was a little... Um, disconcerting and I I think most of the coaches even in the but even in the past have always kind of opted for the orange bowl as it's very convenient you know it's it's a little the airports are a little bit easier as it's you can get in and out Um, the field that might be slightly better though not not dramatically so um and so mostly assistants were at the Eddie her um this year i think but there were still plenty of them um and it it did turn you know into being as you said just kind of a big social everybody talking to everybody watching kind of the same players um, so yeah, it was really interesting to see everybody back out there again. Um, yeah, we had Kalamazoo and, and, um, that was, you know, that was just after very shortly after the whole, they started being back out on the road, but, um, yeah, this was a lot like normal. I would say it, it really truly was, uh, for, for me and for, for them as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 
Look, as um, we want to exchange some juicy rumors, I've been talking to coaches, you've been talking to coaches, we can get to that at the end as well, because I do think there's some interesting things going around the college tennis world right now, but let's start with the tennis that you got to see, and by the way, I am patiently awaiting the uploads on the Zoo Tennis YouTube feed, you know <laughs> I will be glued in to those videos to see yeah. all, yeah, all and, the Fruvertova action. And that's going to be coming on probably, well, there was, that final didn't come off. So there's not going to be much from them, which is really unfortunate. Um, But anyway, it was really, um, there was a lot. I took a lot of video, but it'll be January. I'm afraid before that stuff is going to come out. Once the blizzards and I'm snowed in and Kalamazoo (laughs) come, that'll be on my list of to-dos. But um, not while I'm still here. I've still got a a junior uh, 12s and 14s tournament to cover starting tomorrow. So um, I, I just be patient, Alex. I am always patient. Don't worry, I've got plenty of podcasts to get to in the meantime. I'll find some ways to fill the hours, but you know, I do want to start with the tennis being played, and there was an excitement in the air in Kalamazoo, and I'm sure that excitement carried into Eddie Her, which is where I want to start. And I want to start on the girls' side because if you're looking at, you know, best seasons of 2021, storylines will take away from across levels in tennis. I think if you followed closely, it was the season of the Fruvertova. And whether it was 16-year-old Linda, 14-year-old Brenda, who you wrote about. And by the way, this is why you're the greatest of all time. Right away, we get into it. Byline. Could the Fruvertova sisters do it again? And it's like, well, I'm reading the rest of this TennisRecruiting.net article. I can tell you from there. And you can read Colette's work, obviously, on TennisRecruiting.net. But I just want to start with those two sisters because they had had success on the ITF circuit prior to that, Mark. And I think you sent out a tweet. What did what did Linda play 50 matches or something crazy? Uh, over I think that a, was Brenda. Yeah. Or Brenda, they, they excuse both me. Did, I mean, they started on November 15th and they were both at 30 matches and then beyond until they lost third round and quarterfinals um, at the Orange Bowl. But then they were still, they went all the way through the doubles final. So I haven't updated that, but it's you know, it's certainly running very close to to 40 now. And that's just a tremendous. Uh, the, the fact that Brenda was was hurting by the end of it and she had, she has played a ton probably wasn't very surprising. Um, I was a little bit surprised that they played the Orange Bowl, um, given that they played and made three straight finals. That's just not um, typical. Uh, of junior tennis, but um, they're tough girls. I I can't say that (laughs) enough. Um, They are not um, pampered and um, they're not prima donnas. They want to play and they play. And that has been pretty um, obvious for a while now. So I hope that that they can balance that against the possibility of, of injuries. I do think their injuries are minor. I, I want to point out they're not entered in um, Australia. So uh, who knows? Maybe they're planning on taking a long training block um, in the next month or two. So, um, I, I, but I was just totally impressed with them and what they have accomplished just in these and even trying this. I, I talked to their dad a little bit and, and it was just like, I said, have you heard that 
the Bryans, uh, Wayne Bryan never had his sons play each other or that they would take turns defaulting when they were younger as juniors. And he looked at me as if he, I was crazy. It's like, no, <laughs> of course they want to play. And if that's how it ends up, that's how it ends up. So I don't think that there's ever a chance that a, their relationship is damaged by these things or B, that it, it will keep them from wanting to play each other. So uh, it's really interesting. It's, you know, we haven't had anything like that since the Williams sisters. So I do think um, in the next, I, I do expect Brenda to be more junior oriented and Linda more pro oriented going into 2022, but Brenda has proven that she can hang with the best players. So it will be interesting to see how many matches she'll be able to play on and how many tournaments she'll get on the WTA tour or yeah. the FTF women's circuit. And, you know, again, we're referring to Lyndon Brenda Fuvertova, 16 and 14 respectively, and you alluded to it there. I, I don't I don't know the level of the ITFs, but they played back-to-back championships in Mexico before making the third consecutive week championship in singles head-to-head in at Eddie Herr. Uh, and again, this is the 18s they're playing at, 16 and 14 years old respectively. And again, sisters this close in age, obviously the Williams sisters, the most prominent examples. I'm trying to think. Hurricane and Tornado Black, there's a little bit of a bigger gap, right? Like they weren't competing yeah. in the same event the way that no, these two two. That's right. the only other example I can think of prominently. I'm trying to think of brothers as well. You know, again, the Whitehursts both played. They weren't this level of success. It wasn't final after final after final. There are plenty of twin duos you can point to over the years. You know, there's the duo. I'm blanking on the last name, but they were at Nebraska. Plenty of twins. But to have this degree of success, just absolutely absurd. And you talk about it for Linda, who this year, you know, turned 16 in May of this year. She went 23-8. and eight on the pro circuit this season. And that includes a 15K title. That includes a 25K, uh, excuse me, that includes two 15K titles, a 25K final. She qualifies and makes quarterfinals at an 80K. She qualifies and makes round of 16 in Cleveland. Quarterfinals, of course, at Charleston, where she beat NCAA champ Emma Navarro, beat Alize Cornet. The success is just real. Like, it's happened across levels. I don't think, given her pro success, these past three weeks for Linda Fruvertova do not feel like a fluke, Colette. And I'm just, oh, you know, and you're just trying to think like these sorts of month stretches. This is what I always point to. Taylor Fritz, when he went U.S. Open Juniors, two challenger titles back to back, it was just kind of like that month. You're like, all right, he has it. Like he's ready. Go pro. Go do your thing. You're there. She's 16 years old, but after the year Linda Fruvertova has had. Again, statistically, it's hard to say anything, but she's got the games. And I'm curious, you got to see her, you know, play two weeks consecutively. What about her game shines through right now? Oh, she's extremely competitive. She she just um, and she also tries to figure things out as well. She she's never going to like say, oh, it's just not my day. And and she she will change things that she needs to. Um, she's a power baseliner. There, there's no getting around that. But she still has just has that instinct of, of knowing how to win, knowing that sometimes other things are necessary than just hitting as many balls 
as you can, you know, from the baseline. And I, I, again, it's it's just their competitiveness and the, and their will to win that kind of has stuck out to me. And I, I hate to to group them all the time because it's not fair to either one of them. But um, they they she is at a, at a level that and Brenda has beaten her obviously in the final in the Great A in Mexico. So um, Brenda's at the level as well that that they can give anyone. Um, a competitive match in the WTA tour. You wouldn't have to worry about them going out there and freezing or not being up to it. You can't really hit through them. Um, they can handle any pace um, that comes at them and, and bring it right back. So um, again, they, they, they have, Linda has been very impressive and a lot of people are like, what is she doing here? Um, but on the other hand, you see, she doesn't win every match. I mean, she lost to the eventual champion here. Um, you know, she lost to her sister, but on the whole, it's a good bet that she's going to win a lot when, wherever she plays going forward. Linda Fruvertova, 40 and seven at the junior level. So that makes her 63 and 15 overall this season. She's the number two junior in the world, 24 and five on clay, 10 and one on grass, just like, Come on now. What what are we doing here? And just, you know, again, Brenda Fruvertova, who doesn't have the pro circuit reps, but she went 49 and 10 on the junior circuit this year. Just across levels, spectacular season, 14 years old. She's the number four junior in the world. I'm trying to think because you're right, the, the flame went out at the end. It was so much tennis for both of them. As you mentioned, I believe quarterfinals and round of 16 losses for them in Orange Bowl. But I'm just trying to think of the dominant runs down the home stretch of a season where just like, you know, because you do have this swing. And again, didn't Dominic team play Patrick Ofner in back-to-back matches in That's Orange correct. Bowl? Yeah, see? Yes. I'm a long-time <laughs> listener, first-time caller, Colette. Um, yeah. I remember coming off of that, watching Dominic team and just being like, yep, like for sure, no doubt, go pro, go do your thing. You're the best player. You dominated everyone. I'm trying to think of other streaks like that. Like when Kozlov had done it the year before losing to Francis, beat Stitsipas. I always had to sneak in a Kozlov reference. You knew it was coming. That was a, that was a really, you just like, you felt it at that point. Obviously that's a case where it didn't go quite as well. I thought Bellis, Kennan, by the time they were done, it was so clear. Like, you don't need to go to college. You guys are ready to turn pro. And they had had pro success in ways, you know, the Fruverto, Brenda in particularly hasn't, but Linda sort of had as well. I don't know, just in the pedestal in terms of impressive runs. This has to be up there, right, for this duo. Also, can you imagine being a parent? And, like, I talk about my parents all the time when they're at the dinner table with their friends and they're like, oh, we have two sons at Ivy League establishments, but one's just so passionate about tennis. And then you're the Fruvertova parents here, Colette, and you're just like, well, my daughters are both top five juniors in the world. Uh, like, what a run. Yeah, it, it has been amazing. But I will say that that uh, two years ago, Tiago Tirante of Argentina yeah. won three straight. And, and to me, that was the most amazing accomplishment because he was actually gunning for the world number one. That's why he played all three. That's what he knew going in because the rankings weren't all screwed up from a, from a COVID year that if, if he won those three, he would be number one in the world. And he, he knew that he held calm during all that pressure, three, three straight weeks 
to do it. So, um, you know, obviously what they've done is amazing. And they had four weeks in a row. Um, not sure about playing that Guadalajara, but um, it, to me, um, yeah, it, it is it is a great accomplishment. And uh, yeah, they, they'll be remembered. And of course they were, aside from Bruno and uh, Kuzahara, who is of course a local at the Orange Bowl, they, they were the people they were the players that people came to see. There was no question about it. Uh, and their doubles matches were as um, well, you know, attended as as any singles match that was played, except for when Bruno was playing. So there was a buzz. The Fruvertova buzz existed. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the same in Eddie Herr. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's really difficult to get to the um, tennis academy at Eddie Herr. You have to take, you have to pay to park. It's $15. And then you have to take a shuttle, which is Eh, not the most reliable. So you, sometimes you're half an hour getting from your car to the, and they still, people were still coming out, you know, really, really wanting to see them because they knew them from when they were 10 and 12, when they, they were playing the Eddie Herr. So yeah, there, there's a lot of buzz about them and, and they definitely were the storyline of, of the week until we had a conclusion at the Orange Bowl that kind of, you know, was a, came out of nowhere, but mm -hmm. you know, the first, champion from Paraguay and then um, Marchenko just absolutely you know I don't know I don't even know how <laughs> to describe what she did um, to to go to steal the number one um, ITF junior ranking so yeah it, it was um, it very much started out as their party it ended maybe not quite as well um, but certainly a dramatic and exceptional four weeks for them. I think my favorite year-end race was when Taylor Townsend ended up as the year-end number one. Because if memory serves me correct, there was a little drama down the home stretch. Just like, could she get caught? And she didn't end up getting caught. And I just, again, that was when I was really diving into your coverage. And I just remember following, like, ooh, Orange Bowl. Ooh, Eddie Hur. Like, let's see what these results are. And you're right. Like, it's worth remembering that chase is on throughout the course of the uh, these two events. And you know, the Fruvertovas make the finals and doubles of Eddie Hur as well. They lose 11-9 in the third set. Just a ridiculous two weeks. But if it wasn't for them, perhaps the player we would have been talking about is Diana Schneider, uh, who I'm hoping I'm not butchering that pronunciation too poorly. But, you know, you look at her, you know, she's the doubles champion, and she ends up making semifinals in singles where she loses in three sets, 7-6 in the third to Fruvertova. And she was another player very much in that mix for the year-end world number one. I don't want to say how good is she because I feel like that's a stupid question, but what did you think about her performance throughout the course of the two weeks? Um, yeah, she she really stepped it up. I think Clay probably suits it pretty well, even though she was the Wimbledon uh, doubles champion this year. But uh, she looked really comfortable on on the green clay, and um, yeah, was was just able to dominate people. I mean. She had some close matches, but a lot of her matches were two and one, one and two. So I, I would describe her as being a very um, effective front runner and just being, you know, when she's not behind and not having to fight, you know, herself and her own mentality, um, she can just rip winners. She's left handed. She has a pretty good serve and, you know, she's a a good doubles player. So she, she's not afraid to do some um, angles and to come in once in a while and that sort of thing. So yeah, she had a great two weeks. Um, 
and it was it was good to see. Um, she she had a really poor U.S. Open, and I you know I was just not sure how she would um, bounce back. But uh, two weeks prior, she won a 15k her first. So um, I I do think yeah she she's um, she's very good, and I think mentally she still has a way to go. She seems to get nervous and tight and and in close matches doesn't really believe that she's going to come out ahead but um she's got a lot of talent Mm -hmm. no and again super impressive run for her uh in both events and you mentioned it pro success for her coming as well and i think it's just worth mentioning for all of these players how young they still are and yeah you look at the context of you know the Fernandezes of the world, the Radicanus of the world, the Goths of the world. They're exceptions, not the rules. And Schneider's still 17 years old. Like there is still, as you mentioned, plenty of time for that development to occur. And you know, again, as you look at uh, the Orange Bowl draws and just the the success she had across the two weeks, I guess I, I, would you say that's I don't want to say the clear top three there, but when you look on the women's side and you know the success across events, and obviously we get to the Orange Bowl here now. Let's just start with the with the girls' results, and then we'll get over, I suppose, to the men. You okay. Know, Schneider ends up making the final in singles of the Orange Bowl as well, and she ends up falling to Marchenko uh, in that third set. And what a match that was! Well, just I'm opening the floor to you because I haven't read the review yet. Tell me about the final. What was it like on site? Well, it, because Bruno was playing second, um, really? the crowd wasn't nearly as big as it would have been, and of course, in the last four iterations of the orange bowl we've had an american in the final and so that made a difference there there weren't that many people here they started to filter in probably um in the second set um marchenko was a little bit tentative i would say um and and schneider was just a little bit um I, I don't know, just a little bit more precise with some of her shots. And she, her drop shot is very good. And, and it took Marchenko some time to figure that out as well. But what was really fun was they both played so fast that the mm-hmm. ball runners could hardly get the balls back before they were up to serve again. And so the whole set, um, first set went uh, 28 minutes. And so, um, I think they were both a little bit nervous and, and are naturally fast players anyway. And then you add ball people for the first time in the, in the tournament and everything just combined to ever, you know, I could hardly keep up with my videos. It was just <laughs> going so fast. So, um, but they both went to the, to, uh, the restroom. It was very hot. So I'm not sure if they changed clothes or not. They may have, uh, you know, it was very, very humid as well but when marchenko came back she was just on fire and just you you could see that she said to herself i have got to play the game that i know which is just blasting balls and um she was not tentative and she was making most of them so that put that that put schneider back on her knee on her you know heels and so um you could sense that and then in the third set it was it was really marchenko who who was in control just 
Um, I mean, there were breaks and, and so forth, but uh, Marchenko, as she said, was just the calmer of the two and the less nervous. And, and she, you know, she was able to do it. So um, she's very impressive. Um, she does, you know, she just turned 16 um, the beginning of this month. So her rise has been, you know, really spectacular just in the last six months. Uh, winning a great A in South Africa, the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open, where she beat um, Ashlyn Kruger in the second round. Um, just, you know, she has really, really been stepping it up. And I do think um, she's got a ton of potential. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if she if she wins the Australian Open or something like that. I'm not sure how she'll play on on hard courts, um, having only seen her on the on the green clay. But um, extremely impressive, just good backhand, um, good forehand, and ju just reads the game very well and um, has a lot of just belief in herself. So, yeah, I I was very impressed with her. I, I had only seen her in bits and pieces, you know, since I haven't seen a lot of international players, which um, is what gave me the opportunity and didn't have a chance to talk to any of them really person to person until these two weeks. So yeah, it, it was fabulous. She speaks great English. She still has braces. So you know that, that she's at a point where um, she's still going to have to play, wants to play the slams. Um, obviously everybody wants to win one of those in their junior career. And so um, that should, in 2022, that should be it. But it wouldn't surprise me if she starts knocking off some 15Ks and 25Ks as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, with that said, I just have one more player to ask you about on the girls' side. And that, I'm going to butcher the last name, but Mia Kupras, Kupras, whatever it is from yeah, Canada. Yeah, I think it's Kupras, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. There, I was going to say, just quickly for some context, there were three players to make the quarterfinals of both Eddie Hur and Orange Bowl. Uh, we've already obviously mentioned two of them. Linda Fruvertova does it. Uh, Diana Schneider does it. And then you have Mia Kupras, who does it as well. 17 years old from Canada, still outside the top 50 of the ITF rankings. Is she on the rise? Yeah, she is. She looked really impressive. Um, and she, she seemed very confident um, when I talked to her after um, her win in the third round. She just seems like... She knows what she's doing. She knows what she wants to do. She loves her forehand and does everything she can to get to get it. Um, and she she looked really good to me. Um, I had seen her play at uh, Nicholasville this year, and she had a good run, but you know it was nothing fantastic. But she real I feel she really broke out in these these two tournaments. And she said she does like you know, clay, even though hard, hard courts are what she grew up on as a Canadian. So it was fun. Um, she was, um, to see her play as well as she did, um, over the course of two weeks and yeah, Texas A&M, uh, you know, to beat Brenda is just a huge accomplishment and, and, um, Texas A&M is going to have a good one when she joins them. Yeah, I was going to say, she is going... That was the big thing, is she's committed already, I believe, right, to the Aggies? Yes, yeah, she's signed. That's another good pull from Coach Weaver. And just, yeah, I I am curious, uh, wh how much of an eye was it for these college coaches on the recruit? I mean, how active was the recruiting? Did it feel like a lot of these players have college aspirations? Did it feel like a lot of them were engaged and interested? I, it did seem that... Like 
that to me, um, you never quite know with the internationals. Sure. Uh, you know, obviously there's the fruit of Tovas aren't, aren't interested and Marchenko's really not going to be doing that. But I actually heard Tony Bresky's recruiting the fruit of Tovas and he's just like, <laughs> come on, right? Like he's the only one with a shot. <laughs> right, right. Um, but yeah, I, I saw a lot of conversations, um, a, a lot of uh, Texas and Florida were, are, are, I believe, the final choices for Bruno Kuzahara. That's just my speculation. I don't know for sure. Uh, I know he's taken visits to both those places. So um, that's, you know, they were obviously one or the other were at most of his matches until the very end. Um, the ones that, that, you know, player, they would go and watch their players. Um, Jamie Hunt from the assistant from Georgia was at, you know, all Ethan Quinn's matches and Alex Mickelson, who is verbally committed to Georgia was also, you know, somebody that he kept a really close eye on um, that sort of thing. There, were, there was a lot of that going on. Um, and then there were people that were just like, okay, I want Kayla Cross to come to my to my school, so I'm going to go to every singles and doubles match she plays and just stand there with my shirt and let her know that I'm interested. So, um, yeah, that was definitely uh, part of what was going on. And I will say there was also, and this might be a good transition into the 16s, there was a lot of interest in the 16s because, as you know, a lot of people are committing earlier um, or early, I, maybe not earlier than two or three years ago, but earlier than 10 years ago for sure. And so they want to make sure that they know people. And of course, they're still getting to know international people. Um, but most of them were looking at the 60 Americans in the 16s just to get a feel for, um, you know, the games of those players. So um, mm -hmm. there was a lot, of, a lot of interest in the in the 16 and unders. Yeah, and talking to all of these coaches, they will say, look, with the COVID stuff, the extra years of eligibility, we know what our roster is going to look like the next two years. We have to get after it with the 16s and the 14s, the players we haven't seen play at all because of the pandemic, and this is for them just every instant they have for an opportunity to watch them. Yeah, they're going to take it. Uh, with that in mind, let's put – I was going to say put a bow on uh, the, the girls' side. Tell me 16s, 14s, 12s, what was the takeaway? Uh, Kate Kim uh, is the takeaway <laughs> because uh, since Katie Volley nested in 2014, no one had won the Eddie Her, which is on hard court, and uh, the Orange Bowl 16s the following week with one day of rest on clay um, it's, it's, it, until Kate Kim did it. And uh, she. I don't think the fields were like wow strong, but um, she was the number four seed in which was the Eddie Her. This is an interesting side note. The Eddie Her basically seated um, on UTR. Really? Yes. Okay. Interesting. Um, yeah, and the they did very well. They they mm, they didn't seed the wild cards, which is a mistake. Um, because the boys 16s three of them wild cards ended up being um, in the semis and had very high UTRs and would have been seated had they had they seated the wild cards but anyway um, she she was number four seed based on her uh, UTR and um, she was unseated in, based on the ITF rankings 
at the Orange Bowl, which is how they see the 16s and 18s, of course. So it was kind of an interesting contrast. And I have to say that there's really no doubt that the UTR came out better. better. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So keep that thought in the back of your mind because we're going to talk some ranking stuff college-wise at the end of this. That is an interesting thought. And look, we had – we hosted the boys 12s national in uh indoor whatever they're mm-hmm. called sorry all the names is it the national fall championships like the ita is it the national indoors it's all just a blend you know the one i'm talking about the people yes. were here thanksgiving weekend i call it the cracker barrel tournament because that's where you're spending thanksgiving um and so um look and we can talk details there but um yeah it is so fascinating you know we did utr based seeds as well and you know we went combined ranking or excuse me we went combined rankings not utr and it was interesting to see because we compared it to what the utr seeds would have been like and you're right like utr played out really really well like in the end it was the top two kids mcpeak and the lovely other kid whose name i'm forgetting um michael Ant- antonius there it is because that's how i remembered it is i would say that whenever he'd walk in um and like they were the top two in the field and it was very clear that they were and obviously that's the extremes but even across the board there was one outlier um something lee i forget his first name joseph lee there he is and like that was the one utr outlier and it's because he was 10 and it's like he just hadn't played the matches that the other players did so i do agree with you i'd like utr is getting close free endorsement here utr you should be paying me steven amortage <laughs> who i love very dearly um and nina pantic coming on the show tomorrow so be on the lookout for that free plug um but yeah like that is it even at the 12s level the utrs are accurate yeah, they they're really good and mm-hmm. and um I I do think that that was that played out at the Eddie Her as well. Uh yeah, they they were I want to give a shout out to Kwang Duong who won the 16s at the Orange Bowl. Um he played great, didn't play the Eddie Her, but um you know, just a tremendous fighter. His, his grunts a little bit annoying to those of us who don't care for grunting um, by either gender, but um, he's a really tough kid. He, he won some really, really tough matches, and um, he was getting absolutely smoked in the first set. I mean, Fusina, Alex Fusina, the number two seed, was just playing just flawless tennis. And to be able to hang in there mentally when you're 15 years old um, is not the easiest thing to do. But he did, and um, it, he was he was great. He was a, a tremendous story f- for that week. Um, as far as the 12s, 14s, and 16s, of course, we have uh, Theodore Davidoff, the the boy that plays. Um, switches racket hands rather than hit a backhand, and uh, he won the 12s. Uh, again, he was another one of the very popular um, players at the Eddie Her for fans to look at. He's going to be the number one seed at the Junior Orange Bowl coming up on hard court, on hard, on clay. I'm sorry, where the Eddie Her was on hard courts for him. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, I would imagine it will give him more time uh, to switch hands, but it doesn't. You really can't even notice it. It's so quick when he does it. So yeah, that's. Um, he, he was a, a great story there and um it yeah it, and the, uh the four teens were were both foreign players um that 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 played very well beat americans in the finals uh to see rudy kwan back who was 
um, the Jack Sock of his of his generation when uh, when he won everything, uh, just everything in 2018, um, you know, in the 12s and had been injured uh, with a uh, elbow and then had you know strict COVID parents who didn't want him to play much last year. Um, he looked. He looked great. He lost in the first round of the Orange Bowl. I'm not sure clay is really the surface that suits him. Um, but I mean, he he's it's great to see him back playing his style of tennis. He's very smooth, uh, kind of floats around the court, uh, very smart, uh, just plays a lovely game. Um, there were more than a couple coaches that were just even though he's 15 he's a long way from making a decision on college that we're just watching him to watch him you know to see what he can do and it's, it's very impressive so he won the 16s um over lorenzo carboni who is from italy and is another 15 year old that is definitely one to watch for the future that's a name you'll want to remember um and that i'm sure i will be seeing a lot of in the next three years on the junior circuit um, and let's see, Kate, um, the girl who won the 12s, I had not seen her play before. So mm -hmm. I was, um, not, you know, I didn't really know what to make of her. So I, I really am looking forward to seeing, um, and I'll get her name in a second here when it comes to me, but girls 12s. Uh, yeah. Penchikova. Yeah, that's it. She's got a twin sister. Twin sister, yeah, yeah. that's another set. We're and seeing Christina, a trend yeah. emerge. Yeah, yeah, and um, I only saw little bits of her. The, the really annoying thing about the Eddie Hurst, they play all the finals at the same time, mm -hmm. except for the 18s, and so you're just running around like crazy trying to get video, and you're not really watching the match for any sort of thing. But I look forward to seeing her play. I believe she's playing this week in. Um, here in Miami. So I, I hope to see a little bit more of her. Um, but yeah, twin sisters, I, that's a good story as well. So yeah, it was all, all in all, Eddie here was, um, you know, great tournament with super weather. And um, yeah, it was, it was really fun. Yeah, no, it, that, that sounds awesome. Um, again, it's on the list. I will get down there one of these years. Obviously, this year, we had some stuff going on here. But I do want to talk Again, Eddie Her Orange Bowl for the 18s uh, for the guys as well nice. because, yep. you know, looking at this, it, it's worth mentioning only one player made the semifinal of both events. That's Bruno Kuzahara, and of course you look for him unable to come away with the title in either event, but still he, he was the top American here over the course yes. of these two weeks, and obviously you mentioned the local support that he got. You, you said, I believe, Texas and Florida, which that I feel like that's that's the programs right now like those are the two that people seem to be choosing between so it makes sense from a logistics standpoint I mean how good was he over these two weeks uh, he was great I I I'd seen him in Kalamazoo and he played well but you know Zvita got him and I it wasn't Ben no it was Ben wasn't it yeah, yeah. I it one of the two guys and yeah. you know he he played well, but you just thought, oh, he's not quite at that level yet. You know, not quite at that. I can win challenger matches level, and and so it w I was interested to see when he played. You know, some really top international competition here, um, how he would do, and he did very well. I mean, he he's fast. Um, he he's just 
he hits hard. He's not a counterpuncher. Of course, everybody, he's small, so everybody wants him to be the next Diego Schwartzman, and maybe he will be. <laughs> um, he is um, extremely extremely good so he played awful i have to say not what he said he played okay in the final i don't think he played okay i i'd seen him play a whole lot better throughout the two weeks and i did watch a lot of his matches um but it was a great two weeks for him and he really established himself as is one of the very very top juniors i think i mean he, he always kind of was let this last year but I, I, you know, I think the way he, the results he had this last two weeks just made it no doubt that, that he is, he's going to be one of the very top favorites at the Australian open with the guy who beat him, who VAO, you know, he's yeah. excellent player from Paraguay. And um, yeah, I look forward to that rivalry continuing because that was their first meeting in the final. Mm-hmm. No, I, I see a lot of Sebastian Baez in the game of Kuzahara. Just like the way they're both a little more aggressive, that they do move forward. They like to get to the net. They like to be, you know, again, on their front foot, using their speed right. to take the ball early, not be defensive. Right. Um, but he is very good. And it's just like, I mean, wouldn't it be typical? If you, all right, would it shock you if there was a parse bomb that dropped tomorrow and you found out Bruno was starting at Texas in January? Like, no. would it shock you at this point? I don't think it would. That's the crazy Well, thing. yeah, I, it would because Maybe I, for them. Yeah, yeah because I, he and Brian Baker have pretty much set out a schedule for, for the sure. next six months. Um, and, you know, Brian Baker is a tough guy. And he. Yeah. I, I can't see him saying, oh, now I'm just going to college. I can see him saying, no, we have this set out. We're going to see how you do. You want to play you know, this, that, and this, and, you know, we're going to play Australia and then we're going to see, you know, the 15 and 25s that are coming up in Florida and that sort of thing. And, and I do, I would be surprised if if he goes in January because he is committed to going to Australia. Mm -hmm. Well, with that said, Vlacheslav Bilinski, Hopefully I did that well. You heard the Ukraine slip out a little (laughs) bit at the end. Um, Seven, six in the third, he takes that final. Number two seed, obviously, he was in that race for the year and final, though. We'll, we'll, we'll get to the absence of the World Junior number one at the end of this. but well, Partial talk, absence. Partial um, absence, yes. But again, we'll get. Well, I want to get to that separately because um, I think he's his own topic. Um, but talk to <laughs> yeah. me about the – I mean, anytime you get a 7-6 in the third final, you take it. Yeah. It, unfortunately, it was like zero or whatever it was yeah. in the final. So, yeah, it wasn't as dramatic. I, I um Rublev played Matrak. I'm not sure, sure how you say it. Is that Camille. the right? Yeah, right? Um, that's how I would say it too. Uh, yeah. And then seven, six in the third, and Rublev lost that one. Mm-hmm. And that was tremendous. There were match points flying and all that stuff. We didn't have that in this one, but I will say that Killian Feldposh of Switzerland was was definitely one of the um breakout stars of, of these last two weeks. Um, he played well. Uh, he beat Bruno in the semis, and he, I think his legs were a little bit gone, obviously, by that third set tiebreaker. But, and he had played, got, I think, until he beat Bruno in straights, he had played th- three sets with everybody. 
uh, Jonah Braswell and just, you know, a whole bunch of players, but he figured it out and he's, I thought he's good. His serve is not anything, which it needs to be. And as somebody that looks to be um, getting some size should be much better, but um, he was definitely one of the breakout stars of, of the Eddie Her, And then, and then he went on to do okay at the, at the um, orange bowl. So yeah, I, I liked him a lot and um, it was, it was a good final. They're both good players. And um, we needed that after, you know, Brenda retired after two games of the, of the girls final. Um, the fans needed something, but they did enjoy um, watching both of them play. Belinsky's kind of a character. Um, I, he doesn't speak much English, so I'm confident that he won't hear me uh, tell, you know, he won't hold it against me for calling him a character, but he is um, crazy uh, a little bit. I mean, at one point he went to his chair, he plays very fast. And yet at one point he got, uh, he went to his chair in the middle of a point, it was like 1530. He walks over to his chair, takes a bottle of water out of the cooler and douses it on his hands, not his head, his hands. I've seen people do that, not usually at changeovers, not during, you know, a game, but he just, he, he nicely held it over the trash can but he poured a bottle of water on his hands it was just <laughs> bizarre and then he went back um went to his towel uh, the chair umpire was so baffled by the whole thing he didn't even give him a time violation but then and, and then as i said he normally plays very very quickly so it was just it was just out of nowhere but then the next point he went to his towel again and then the chair said okay we got to have a time violation warning here and then that was it and he just you know went on to play so um he, he is kind of a an interesting character and i i still never quite determined as I said, his English isn't good. His coach speaks good English. And so I talked a lot to him, but um, why he was playing this when he was 18 years old um, mm -hmm. didn't make a lot of sense. You don't get a lot of 18 year olds playing these last two tournaments unless they want to make the top 100 and get those, you know, very, very important junior reserve spots that the ITF gives out for, for the following year. But um, yeah, he was good. But then when he played the Orange Bowl, he was tired. Um, and Ryan Colby had not played Eddie Her, and he came out and pretty much, you know, did the job. Yeah, it, yeah. He, you know, he retired after after Ryan won the first set and got, was up a break in the second. So it was um, it was kind of a sad way to end your junior career. You know, to go out that way. If, and, you know, I, I was hoping that at least it would be in a, in a really go close, tight battle for him, but it wasn't to be. Mm -hmm. I meant to ask earlier, by the way, boys and girls 12s, I'd mentioned it in our event. I think 76% of the kids cried on court at some point. And I don't know if there were cries of joy, of disappointment. I mean, it was everything. It was, oh my gosh. The best was one of the days, it was, I think, the Sunday, these two kids four hours just moon ball uh -huh. after moon ball and it set us back a little bit because we were just one court off and thank god every parent comes up and they're like oh don't worry we see it and i was like oh thank god i was like oh thank you for acknowledging this so what do you guys hit the 76 percent mark i don't think so it uh, was pretty, 
but again, I didn't watch a whole lot of the twelve. So it's fair. you'll get it this week. Yeah, you'll, I'll get yes, a more exactly, accurate assessment from exactly. you. Um, I'll, I'll give an update after uh, this week. I like it. Well, I'm going to offer up some red meat to the listeners. I'm going to throw one more name at you, and then I want to get to some of the college stuff I want to talk about. But Leo Borg. Number six seed, quarterfinals at the Orange Bowl. That might be his best junior result to date. And I'm just curious if you saw him, you know, or one of the best, certainly at this level. Curious what you saw from him, what you thought from young Leo. Um, I didn't watch him very much, to be honest with you. Again, he was one of the popular, Bruno, the Fruvertova sisters, and obviously with the older group. Anyway, you know, Borg was one that everybody wanted to see. He's unmistakably, you know, Borg's son with the way he looks and the way he's built and the backhand, you know, I think. You know, maybe not quite his father's level, but still recognizable. Um, but again, he's a, 18 as well. Um, I I don't know why he was playing this stuff. Um, to me, I, I you know, I just don't know. I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's just um, not, not conventional anymore um, to play after the U.S. Open. Um, you know, if you're 18 years old, you kind of go out with the slam, um, you know, having played your last slam and then go on to something else. I mean, I'm all for all the best players coming to the Orange Bowl, but I do understand that their motivations may vary. You know, the, the ITF is trying to change um, the motivations by, you know, this junior thing and giving more wild cards and that kind of stuff to top 10 players and so forth. But I do think, um, yeah, I'm just kind of always baffled by by people that play, which is kind of sad, I guess. But um, <laughs> as far as this game, now. I mean, I, I guess um, <laughs> I, you know, I don't see anything spectacular in it. But you know, that's I. There are there are people in the business who who do like it a lot. So. You know, no, I, he'll get a share of wild cards and God knows. Yeah, hey, <laughs> so he'll have his seats. chances to prove that he belongs on that pro tour. Exactly. So we'll get to see that play out. But okay, with all that said, you were on the ground chatting with all these college coaches. You got to hear some things. Well, I guess uh, any final thoughts? Did we miss anything? Any players you'd like to call out? Mm-hmm. I think we hit them all. Well, yeah, I just do want to mention that Ryan Colby, you know, oh, had yeah. an outstanding tournament and he'll be starting uh, at USC in January and that he's going to, he's going to play. Um, yeah, the, I like that. And, and that's, by the way, a much needed, he's going to play uh, yeah. at USC. And speaking of which, that gets us, well, we'll get to the USC stuff in a second. ITA rankings are out. And I asked you to hold this thought earlier about incorporating UTR. And you look at these December rankings, and respectfully, I love you, Tim, and Dave, and Bruce, and Dan, and everyone who might listen to this. Please don't get mad at me. Uh, But, like, respectfully, do the December ITA rankings matter? And I think you can make a very easy argument that the answer is no. And it's just like Emma Navarro, not in the rankings. Liam Draxel, not in the rankings. Now, there are kernels of truth. Certainly, Ohio State's going to be very good at doubles. Do I think Trotter and Boulez are the second best team in the country? No, I don't. Do I think it's indicative of how good they were this fall? Yes, absolutely. But the idea that the IT rankings, how do you make them matter at this stage? And look, there's a broader question of can you integrate the college rankings with the pro rankings better and create a synergy between the two leagues? That's a 
bigger picture question that we can get to on a different time. That's its own hour. Um, but when you look at the ITA rankings, and I was talking about this with John Parsons, the more and more I think about it, I don't know why the ITA ranking is not just a 12-month rolling ranking. Like why we don't just remove the seniors when they graduate but keep things where they were at the end of last season. And if you have three years of results to turn to, leave those three years of results in. Is that an idea that appeals to you, incorporating UTR? You know, what are your thoughts on the December rankings? Yeah, I agree with you. And this is to me, it's been a problem that, that – needs that has needed to be addressed for years and years. I mean, this is not new that that people take the fall off to play pro and then have no ranking. And to me, that's a disservice to everybody. All I ever hear is, well, it'll work itself out. And I guess it will. But why does it have to? I don't understand, Mm -hmm. especially with UTR now. I don't understand why. Um, and like you said, it's if you have no results from somebody like Connie Ma, okay, you did, you know, you're not good. If she didn't play off fall, you're not going to put her at number nine, or you, mm-hmm. you can't go back to you know three years. But she does have a UTR, um, so yeah, I don't know. I I I don't think it would be that hard to fix it. But no, apparently, I know the big brains, the Shannons of the world. Chris Hallioris doesn't have a big brain, but he has a brain tailored to do this. <laughs> they could do it. Like they can create the formula that incorporates all of these different things. Now the question is, and again, I this is where I love asking you these sorts of questions. Should the college rankings be exclusively college results? If we're talking about who is the best player in college tennis, why does it matter what they're doing in Landisville? Why does it matter what they're doing in Decatur? Or do we want the most accurate rankings? I suppose that's the question. That's how I'll frame it to you. Okay. I, I never thought of it that way. I always thought <laughs> that rankings were, well, there, there's several ways. When UTR came about, there was always an argument. You know, tennis recruiting was always there. They wanted to keep the head-to-head part of the algorithm. And the USTA wanted to go to points per round, which is how the ATP and ITF and everybody else does things. And, you know, there are arguments for both things. There'll never be a perfect um, ranking system, but I, yeah, I, I would, I would rather know who is the top UTR ranked people in college rather than just using their collegiate events. I think Liam Draxel now, and he just won, you know, the 15K in in Cancun uh, yesterday or whenever it was, I guess it was Sunday. Um, Yeah, so, you know, I think that should figure into it and I think he should be ranked, you know, so then when someone beats him and he probably will lose some matches, um, this year, then they get some credit for that. But but now, you know, if he's if they beat him and he's unranked, <laughs> I mean, we're <laughs> yeah, it works itself out by May, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, no, I I agree that it just feels like these rankings because a it's going off of such limited thing. Well, you know, this is all just a scheme for me to move the NCAA tournament to the fall, Colette. Um, but it's just like. <laughs> How do you make those you know, rankings relevant? How do you make them accurate? And it is incorporating the other data. And you're right. We have such a limited data set to go on in college matches, but it's just like if you incorporate UTR, you, which incorporates pro results or junior results for the players coming in, it does feel like you would have a more accurate reflection of who the best and worst players in college tennis are. Now, again, 
It's a December ranking, and there are kernels of truth in there. Like five top 40 Pepperdine women singles players, nuts. And you're just like, but that also feels kind of real. And at the same time, Janice Chen is the one Pepperdine player ranked like 97. Where it's like, <laughs> well, know, well hold on for a second. Okay. Yeah, like that's not right. And it's just like those contradictions are where it's just like if we want the ITA rankings to matter. And they're, you know, for me, the ideal system at the end of the year, if you're a top 10 college ranked player, you get to play world team tennis. You get the wild cards. That's the dream scenario is making those rankings matter that much more. They have to be the most accurate. And I just think you have to incorporate other data. And I've been talking to other coaches. I think they agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have absolutely no problem with that. So No, I like it. Um, well, then, with that in mind, again, some of the broader college stuff, some of my takeaways from my Power 5 conversations, I do think the move NCAs to the fall movement is growing. And I know they talk about it every year. And what I've learned, you can get 49.9% of college coaches to agree to anything. You're never <laughs> going to get 50%. Not ever <laughs> are you going to get 50%. Um, but I just do think the idea of, A, three weeks is just too long. Like the NCAA tournament is. It's too long. And from a commercial standpoint, if you want to make it the most marketable product, the most you just have to be more efficient. I think that's part of the reason driving it. I do. I, I just think that movement's coming back, Colette. I'm not, as you know, I'm not a big fan of it because I don't like the wild card being given in the fall for the following year. Year. Sure. Yeah. What if we play the NCAA tournament second week U.S. Open? Oh, I. Go for that. <laughs> yeah. Because it's just like, isn't that the perfect – I know this is speculation. And by the way, Eric Buderak, again, please, pretty please. Like what do I – in the order of things I need from you, Eric, press pass to the 2022 U.S. Open. College time, NCAA term. no, but uh, more seriously, it's just like you're looking for the platform. And college tennis is an international sport, but the burden of it falls to the USTA. And if mm-hmm. that's going to be the case – why not make it the most market? Like, why not market it on your biggest stage? Make it one of your biggest commercial properties. Yeah, I, I don't hate that. Um, <laughs> I, I've always thought that it made sense. I mean, I loved when they had the um, the you know, just American yeah. Collegiate Invitational that Bill Mumford, um, unfortunately, no longer with the USDA, and so the ACI is no longer with us either. Um, yeah, that would people would see Daniel Collins. They saw Matthew McDonald. They saw Marcus Giron. They saw those players at the U.S. Open, and sometimes, depending on when the Ash Stadium let out, there were big crowds around watching those players. So I definitely think that 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 could work. Um, and yeah, I I think it would be great, um, but. All right. Well, the, the GOAT has endorsed it, so we're in. Right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. See how much that helps. That was step one. Well, yeah, maybe I need you doing the opposite, like no ad, and then it's like, yeah, okay, we're in for sure. <laughs> um, no, that's an interesting one. The last one, and talking to more coaches, they think about these sort of things. I know you won't love this, but I think simultaneous start, if I had to guess, that is in college tennis's future. No, I'm fine with that. Ooh. I've always been fine with that. So Anything like a one-four format? Simultaneous, 
with regular scoring, but <laughs> I, no, I've always been, I, I've never had a problem with that. What Mark Lucero posited something several years ago, probably maybe close to eight years ago now. And I'm all, all on board with that. I, mm-hmm. I think it would be great. I don't have any problem. I found out Texas, uh, South Carolina women's coach, Kevin Appley sent around a one pager on it. And all, I was like, how do I not get those one pages? that. I yeah. know. I was like, can you someone leak to me, please? I was like, <laughs> right. what does Parsa do with this information? Nothing fun. Okay? He just monopolizes it. <laughs> Haven't we learned monopolies are the enemy of democracy? Um, so come on. Spread the love, folks. Spread the love. No, I, it is just because simultaneous start prevents you from compromising the format so much so you're not playing fast four, but you're also avoiding what is – Oftentimes, a, a rudderless first hour of first sets and singles, where it's just like the adrenaline rush from doubles, so much energy. Uh, who framed it this way? It was Joey uh, Baylor, women's tennis head coach, framed it this way. It's just like you're giving them an excuse to leave. And I think that's a really good point. And when yeah. you framed it, I was like, that's it. And so simultaneous start, what would you do? To, so you'll like this. What I'm telling coaches, and you'll hear this repeatedly, one doubles <laughs> match four singles matches, but then once the doubles is done, those players are eligible to sub into singles. Oh, okay. And Joey was all in on substitutions because I was like, well, are you compromising the game? And his answer is no. You know what will force someone to stay attentive and stay present and not, you know, have those 15-minute lulls in energy is if they know, well, if I do that, I'm getting subbed out. And so I was like, see, I'm in. I was like, substitutions, we're doing it. (laughs) Um, That and a 90-second timeout. I think if anything's going to come out of it, that's right. Coaches can just call time. We don't have that. Give it to – how many times do you see that dual match running away? Anyways – that's all yep. of my college format stuff. A couple more to bounce off you, and then I'm curious anything you're hearing. USC assistant job. Obviously, we see Rich Bonfiglio going from Columbia over to USC. I think that's such a good hire for Brett. Like, if you look for him, what's the thing he wants to be doing? Is focusing on winning matches. He just wants to win. He wants to compete. What does Rich want to do? Everything else. And it's just like the recruiting. Uh, just, I think they're. I, it's a really good blend. I like. I love the hire. And poor Howie. Like, what a rough month. You, you lose oh, Samir. Losing you lose Samir Rich and, and Rich. Yeah, I know. It's just like he'll be fine. Don't worry. Howie Endelman. Nothing is scarier than a Howie Endelman with a chip on his shoulder. Um, but, <laughs> but like, I think it's a great hire, Clint. Okay. Well, I I just don't know that much about him. I, so I, you know, I can't comment, but I will definitely take your word for it. Yeah. Okay. I like it. Don't worry. I, let me get in trouble with the coaches. Um, but I think that was all complimentary. So I'll take it. Yeah. By the way, Quinta DeCal. I never asked you your opinion on that. Chris Quinta, finally a head coach. Yeah, unfortunately, we did not see any of him at either of these two tournaments. I guess it, he's still straightening stuff around with his visa which has to be transferred from one college to another or one place of employment to another or some some something i don't understand but uh yeah that's that's great i i i've always been a big fan of his um i i think you know cal couldn't probably have found anybody any any more um prepared for a job like that so yeah i think i think it's super um i'm looking forward to talking to him again about it the next time you're with a group of six college tennis head coaches just casually float so do you think quinto will be the head coach at ucla someday and just then just sit back 
and let them do their thing. And it's just <laughs> it's it's excellent. Um, but no, it's again, I'm just playing around here. Don't get mad at me, anyone. Um, now, again, you're on the grounds. What were you hearing? Eddie Her Orange Bowl. What were the takeaways from these coaches? Uh, yeah, I, I heard a lot of people that were, that were, um, interest, not a lot. I heard a couple of people, um, that brought up maybe a recruiting calendar might be something that would be, uh, welcome. Uh, I also heard, and this is not related to college tennis, that there's a great many people that would normally go agents, um, reps, uh, USTA employees to Australia who are not going to go because they're afraid of getting locked into Australia away from their families. So um, that was also something. Um, I heard Ethan Quinn will be joining the Georgia Bulldogs in January, which um, was a big shocker to me because, you know, when he signed his letter of intent, it was for next fall. Um, but he's been going to regular school, so he must have an option to, to kind of accelerate and get through. I remember Katja Wiersholm, who's at, uh, going to Cal, also told me, I think, at the U.S. Open that that, that was her or maybe it was College Park, that that was her plan, you know, to kind of mm-hmm. get as much done as she could um, before the end of the year so she could start. And obviously, Ethan took that uh, path as well. So he's not playing Australia, which is another reason why you're pretty sure that that it, it will happen. So uh, that's big news as yeah. well. That's a good pull for this Georgia team. And you look at just all the talent they have, Bride, Stewart, McCormick, Henning, Gravilius. Now you throw a Quinn in the mix as well. They're just, yeah, everyone's so freaking good this year. We have to make predictions at the end of this. And nowadays – you know, the first year I can get away with it, but they're on to my, you predict 12 quarterfinalists, Alex. That's not going to work anymore. They hold me <laughs> accountable. And I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, they're all freaking good. The depth is crazy. Like, Ethan Quinn's going to be playing six singles maybe as a freshman. And that's just not the normal way things go. And so, yeah, yeah. It, it should be a very, very fun season. Uh, all- uh, yeah, that, that was one of the takeaways, too, that all the coaches were saying, yeah, there's so many good teams. There, there's 10 really, really good teams out there on the men's side that mostly I was talking talking with. So, yeah, it was um, everybody knows. Some of them are, are a little more interested in the transfer portal than others are. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, they they all kind of understand how it's changed the game, and and um, yeah, it's it, it's been fun to talk about talk with people about how they're approaching it, and you know whether they're they're going for for younger players or if they have a young team, um, how well they'll be set up in two or three years when everybody else no longer has those um, transfers coming whatever so yeah it, it's um it's definitely been a part of the conversation what i did not hear anything about was the nil so i don't know um you know i didn't approach anybody and specifically ask anybody about that but it didn't seem to be like on the forefront of the conversation for for tennis players so, so on that note two things one if you want to hear more about nil tune on over to our cracked interviews podcast series where i'm asking all these head coaches about the topic i think the key right now is just how unknown everything is and like the rules governing ohio are different than the rules governing florida 
and like the rules governing California are different than what's governing Texas. And so it's just a lot of them, they're like, we don't want to get in trouble. And it's really school-based. It's like if your university has a setup, then your program has a setup already. For these coaches, I feel like a lot of it's out of their hands right now. You know, hearing you talk about the transfer portal again, that's another fascinating thing that I discuss with these coaches. But yeah, you're right. The depth, it, it's like I had a coach legitimately argue to me, Colette, legitimately argue that losing Blaze Bicknell was the best thing that could have happened to this Florida team. And I was like, wait, wasn't he undefeated last year? And they were like, no, but it opens up the spot. And it's like now everyone gets to play that much more. And I was just like, okay. Like, and it's <laughs> crowd's like, you know what? Not a terrible case. Um, and it's just like it is ridiculous to think that like Sam Riffis might start at five singles. Like that's where we're at right now. Or like- I, I will say I had a conversation with Brian Shelton and I pinned him down that Ben would be in the top three. So it's a true oh, for sure. My hot take before I, I told the pivots being made, it was that Andy Andrade wasn't gonna be in the singles lineup this year. Now my new hot take is that Riffis is out. That's just what I'm gonna go with. I'm like, yeah, I don't think Sam's gonna crack it. Like, I just don't know. Like, how committed has he been? Um, but no, it's it's crazy. And like, Baylor's second team would be top sixteen, and it's just like it's nuts how much talent they have. Texas, like Texas, is the swing school on the men's side. By the way, we can talk about all the women as well. But I think the men's side's even more fast. I just think there's a clear top three, top four on the women's side than there is on the men's side. Like. For Texas, is duplicating the 4-3 success they had last season possible? I would argue no. Like, everything broke right for them. And yet, they got way better. (laughs) It's just like, what do you do with a team like that? It's just like, I don't freaking know. And so, ugh. Yeah, predictions, not fun. I've asked Westoff because we're, we're, knock on wood, hoping to do more broadcasting this year. I was like, can't we just tell people that I can't make predictions anymore because it'll piss off people and they won't let us broadcast? And they were like, no, you can't do that. I was like, come <laughs> on, let me bail out. Um, so that's where I'm at, Colette. Any final thoughts? Uh, no, it's just been a great two weeks. I've got another, you know, week to um, watch some really young players, which is part of the exciting part of the job to see new faces and to um, encounter new game styles. And and um, it's it's just really great to be down here. I have not missed the Michigan weather at all. Uh, <laughs> so I'm and I'm have not. I confess, had the time to listen to any of your broadcast podcasts, but I will be doing that um, before the season starts. Okay, how's that holi- for a promise? Uh, huh? That's my holiday gift to you. I gave you eight days of Hanukkah gifts too. Even though you know, <laughs> even if you're not Jewish, I was like, here's trust me, fill eight days. Uh, literally 24 hours worth. Right, um, but exactly. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And again, for our listeners, tennisrecruiting.net for the Eddie Hurd, the Orange Bowl recaps. You can read the daily updates, of course, at the Zoo Tennis blog. But look, if you're listening to Minute 68 of this podcast, you are very likely already at those two locations. I will say, Colette, I got a call from my dad. And as you can tell, it's a frequent theme here. Um, and he goes, Alex, what am I doing still living in Michigan? And he gave me like this whole thing. And I, was, I burst out laughing. I was like, oh man, you, I was like, that's great. But yeah, well, he's headed down to Florida, I think tomorrow. Um, we're going to get to go down there for some time in Christmas. Enjoy the warm weather, soak it in. And I'm sure we will talk to you again soon. Thank you as always. Thank you, Alex. 
Hope all of you enjoyed today's conversation with the GOAT, Colette Lewis. A thank you to her, as always, for taking the time to chat. And as I mentioned at the top, you can read her recaps of the Orange Bowl of Eddie Her on TennisRecruiting.net. You can read her daily recaps on the Zoo Tennis blog. Of course, if you're listening to the show, you're reading Colette Lewis. Best in the business, folks. Always a pleasure to get the chance to chat with her. Of course, we've had so many fun conversations of late. Who's joined us? Let's thank Nina Pantic, David Gertler, Ben Rothenberg, Colette Lewis, Stefan Kozlov, all of these Power 5 tennis co- uh, coaches. We're trying to keep all of you listeners entertained and, of course, educated throughout the course of this offseason as we all prepare for the calendar to turn towards 2022. If you've missed any of that content, you can find it all on our website, CrackRackets.com. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, the Great Shot Podcast, Crack Interviews Podcast, our YouTube channel as well to ensure you don't miss out on any of the coverage, of course. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at CrackRackets. You want to message me directly i am at great shot pod a shout out as always to our super producers max Fligner and daniel westoff for the f- of an editing job they do day in day out shout out as well to our friends at tennis point remember tennis point.com the promo code is cr15 with all of that said for our fantastic guest the goat colette lewis our super producers Fligner and westoff our friends at tennis point from all of us here at both cracked rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say that's the break We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.